Welcome back, homies. This is Herd of Murder. My name is Brittany. Hey, guys. We missed you. It's Christina. And Birdo. Yeah, can't forget Birdo, our newest addition. <laughs> uh, you know, we've had a lot of time in between episodes. Uh, I'm not even going to make excuses anymore because I literally was off for 10 days straight and did not do any research whatsoever. Actually, I'm lying because I did. So I had another entirely different episode planned. I read an entire book. I So what I do when I do my uh, practice runs is I record myself and I listen to the recording and I try to see like how interesting it is. Wasn't that interesting? Really? That's why we posted that one picture on Instagram. The and picture then, was so interesting to me. So it's hard to describe, but the case that I was going to cover, it, is, it has so many intricacies that when you do try to narrow it down to an hour podcast, it kind of flattened it out because I had to cut out all like different details that I feel like makes the story more interesting. And it had a lot of different characters to it, which I feel like there's a lot of backstory because you like to, you know, let the audience know on the characters. So I cut out backgrounds and everything like that. So when I did all that and I tried to tell a story, it was so flat. So I almost feel like I had to do like a, that's almost like a three part episode. I was just going to say that. I was like, I wonder if that's something where we have to do like two or three parts. Absolutely. And I wasn't prepared for that. So I finally was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this story. I've known about this case for a long time. I think it is very interesting. And as I started to dig into it, because I read another whole book for this story, and uh, it was really intriguing. And I think you guys will like this one. So do you guys want to like just get started? Yes. Yes. So our story today is... You guys stop laughing. (laughs) (laughs) So our story today, it's about Alison Botha. Have you guys ever heard of it? No. No. Uh, so I kept trying to get Berto to watch the documentary with me and Berto was like, no, I want to be surprised for the podcast. And I was like, no, I just need to watch this documentary. And he kept saying no. And in retrospect, I'm really glad that you actually didn't watch it because I really want to see the genuine surprise when you hear this case. Cause it's insane. I'm always right. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> like 10% of the time. So Alison Botha, she was born on September 22nd, 1967 in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Her parents divorced when she was 10 years old. So young Allison spent most of her childhood living with her mother and brother. She served as head girl at the collegiate high school for girls in Port Elizabeth. Now, after school, Allison briefly pursued a secretarial career uh, for about a year, but then she spent four years overseas working and traveling before she returned to Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Now, upon return, she rented a flat in the city where she lived alone and she went to work as an insurance broker. Our case happens on December 18th, 1994. Allison spent the day hanging out at the beach with her friends. They spent the night eating pizza and playing games. At the end of the night, when it was over, Allison drives her friend home before she goes back to her flat. Now, as she pulls up to her flat, she notices somebody took her parking spot. So she had to park a little bit up further the street. That would piss me off. (laughs) I I used to live in an apartment (laughs) complex, and that used to happen to me all the time. And I'm not one of those people that want to, like, call a tow truck or on them so i would just go and park somewhere else but it was irritating yeah like that's designated for me i'm sure I, my rent covers a part of that i was just gonna say that you literally pay rent for that parking spot <laughs> that's frustrating when she parks a little bit ways down the street as she's turning her car off her door suddenly flies open and there's a man standing there and he has a knife to her throat he tells her move over or i'll kill you now she scoots over to the passenger seat and the man gets into the driver's seat and he just drives away Now, Allison considers jumping out of the vehicle, but she remembers being so frozen with fear that she can't do that. 
So the man, he assured Allison he wasn't going to harm her. This gave her a little bit of comfort. And he said he just wanted to use her car for an hour. The man introduces himself as Clinton. And then he asks Allison for her name. And Allison, not wanting to give him her real name, she tells him, my name is Susan. Allison begs Clinton to let her go. She starts crying. And she says, hey, you could just have my car. And Clinton says, no, I really want the company. So they drive to a nightclub. It's called Club Tonight. And they park. And a man in black clothes gets in the back seat. Clinton tells the man, super casual, meet my friend Susan. Then he tells Allison, this is teens. It's spelled kind of weird because I'm sure it's like a South African name. It's spelled T-H-U-N-S, but looking it up, his name's Teens. So they drove out of the city and into the middle of fucking nowhere, which is terrifying. Allison, during the drive, she remembers catching teens staring at her through the rearview mirror, and she remembers just being terrified and being like, this is real. Like, I'm in trouble, finally. So Clinton pulls off into the road into a clearing. The area was desolate. It was littered with trash, broken bottles, beer cans, dirty ash from old fires. It's somewhere on the beach, so it's like one of those dirty beaches. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know those dirty beaches that are just littered with gross stuff. So Clinton shuts off the car, and Teens gets out of the car. Now Allison is alone in the car with Clinton. Allison works up the courage to ask, now what? And Clinton replies, I thought you would have realized we want sex. So Clinton asks her if she's going to fight. She says no. Uh, He tells Allison to take off her clothes, and she complies. And once Allison is naked, Clinton grabs Allison by her head and pushes it down into a scratch. He forces Allison to perform oral sex on him while he holds the knife to her head. He even makes the comment, if you bite me, I'll kill you. So after he's finished, he then performs oral sex on Allison. And he made the comment like, does your boyfriend do this to you? Do you like it? He even gives her a hickey on her breast and he like kisses her on the mouth. And then he proceeded to rape her. During the rape, Allison, she didn't want to touch him. So she pushes her palms against the roof of the car. She kept her head turned away from him, and as she turned her head, she could see teens looking at her through the window. After Clinton was done, he looks at teens and he goes, do you also want to have sex with the lovely lady? And teens says, no, I want to fuck the bitch. (laughs) Jesus. So Clinton, he seems surprised, and he says, don't speak to her like that. She's a lady. Which? What the fuck? <laughs> Seriously? You literally just raped the girl and you're like, yeah. she's a lady? No. So Teens walks over to the car. He opens the door and then he begins to rape Allison. But in the middle of it, he pulls back and he says, no, I can't do this. He goes and leans up against the outside of the car, pulls out an eight inch honey knife. As he's sitting on the car, he calls Clinton over. But when he calls him over, he calls him over, calling him Franz. And that's when Allison realized Clinton's name wasn't Clinton. He had given her a fake name like she had given him a fake name. His mm-hmm. name was Franz. So when Franz leaves uh, to go speak with teens, Allison hurries up and she obviously gets stressed. While waiting in the car, she could hear the two men discussing what to do with her. They first considered leaving her there naked. But then one of them says, what do you think um, Nick would want us to do with her? Now, Um Nick is South African for Uncle Nick, which is a euphemism for the devil. So they're basically saying, like, what would the devil want us to do with her? Franz goes back to the car door. He opens it and he orders Allison to take her clothes off again. Now, Allison is actually very relieved when he tells her that because she's assuming they're going with plan A, leave her there naked and just drive away. So she takes all of her clothes off and then they ask her to take the rings off of her finger. She does. She hands them over. Franz, he gets inside the car. He crawls on top of Allison. 
He grips his hands around her neck and he squeezes. As he's doing this, Allison whispers to Franz, please don't kill me. Franz's response was, sorry. The next thing Allison knows, she is lying on the sand outside of her car. Both men are over her, repeatedly stabbing her in the neck, stomach, and pubic areas. I'll get more in depth on the wounds later, but I guess it's relevant to know that they cut her neck again and again. Her head was almost completely severed from her neck. The trachea had been completely cut, and she was disemboweled. Oh, wow. How did she survive that? Oh, wait. <laughs> okay. I have all the answers to your questions coming up. <laughs> now, after stabbing Allison between 30 and 40 times, one of the men says, do you think she's dead? The other says, no one can survive that. The two men throw her shirt on top of her before they go back into the car and they drive away. Now, Allison, she's laying in the middle of nowhere. She's profusely bleeding with no one around. And as she lay there, she, all she could think was, if she dies, she needs to tell everybody who did this to her. So she rolls over, and with a bloody finger, she draws two men's names in the sand. She draws Franz and Teens. Now beneath the name, she writes, I love you, Mom. But Allison, still conscious, she could see headlights in the distance through the bushes. She attempts to stand up, but Im- immediately she feels a wetness on her stomach. And that's when she realized nearly all 23 feet of her small intestines are outside of her body. So she tries to gather them, but they're so slimy and so bloody that she can't get a good grip on them. And that's when she realizes that what they had thrown at her was her shirt. So she actually grabs her shirt, packs her intestines inside of it, and just holds it against her body. And that's when she begins crawling through the beach uh, with dirt and broken glass like everywhere. Now, realizing she can't get to safety by merely crawling, she uses every strength in her body to stand up. And as she stands up, her vision goes black. And that's when she reaches up with her hands, realizes that her head, nearly fully decapitated from her body, had fallen completely back behind her shoulder blades. What the? How is she alive? (laughs) How is that possible? Again, I will tell you, (laughs) it's more to come, but... It's hard to believe, huh? Yeah, it's gnarly. She could literally hear the air whistling from her severed uh, windpipe with every breath she took. So she reaches back, grabs her head, and pulls it forward. And then her vision comes back. And she keeps walking until she finally reaches the road. With no more energy and no more strength left, she lies down in the middle of the road. Uh, So she just hopes someone will drive up, find her, rescue her. So she just waits, and she waits, and she waits until she sees headlights. And as the car approached her, she stuck her hand up and waved at the car because that's literally the only thing that she could do. Then all of a sudden she thinks, what if it's Franz and teens coming back to basically finish me off? But the car ended up just driving around her and leaving. Like she's in the middle of the road. It drives around her because it sees her and then it takes off. That's crazy. Give me a setup. You, you know what? Would you you wouldn't have stopped? I don't know. If I had a gun on me, yes. But if I didn't have anything, I don't know. You, I don't know. There's a naked, twenty-seven-year-old girl. But how fast was he going to do it? With, you know. Like, so it it had to have been going not so fast because I remember reading in the book that she actually came up to a curve and she was like, "Oh, they're just going to turn the corner and they're going to run me over." So she crawled a little bit further down the straightaway to make sure that the car was driving for a little bit. And could see her. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So then at 2.45 a.m., and this is an hour and 45 minutes after... Wait, wait, wait. Before we continue, would you have stopped? I'm not in that situation. 
So I don't know what the circumstances are. So I'm not there. So I don't know if I would have 100% stopped. But I would like to think that if I see a girl naked with blood everywhere in the middle of the road, that I would stop. You know, I'm going to give the driver the benefit of the doubt and say they didn't see her. Well, in her, they drove around her. She's in the middle of the road. They literally drove around her, like had to turn their wheel on a straightaway road to drive around her and take off. Okay. Now she, she said in her book that she thinks that it might have been a woman who was terrified, Mm -hmm. like Berto would be terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that, that they took off and she would like to think, and she never found the answer that they went and got help. But 2.45 in the morning, an hour and 45 minutes after she was abducted, she hears commotion of cars, people talking, and a woman screaming. Now a man kneels down besides Allison. He grabs her hand, comforts her, and tells her to relax. This man, his name was Tian Ellard. He was a 20-year-old veterinary student, and he and his friends were heading back to their campground when he came across Allison. And he recalls that as he drove up, he just saw a naked girl covered in dirt and a lot, a lot of blood. And her eyes were open, swollen, bloodshot, and she was looking at him. So she was obviously hurt. It wasn't just like a fake scene. Now, as he approached her, he could see the severity of her injuries. He could see everything inside of her throat, he said. The veins, the muscles, her windpipe that was severed. So while waiting for the ambulance, he talked to her, trying to keep her conscious. But Allison, she wanted him to see her stomach. So she, all she could do is gesture towards her abdomen. And Tian lifts her shirt realizes that she had been completely disemboweled. Another person who drove up immediately grabbed a blanket and covered Allison. And Tian, he was amazing. He continued to talk to her, assuring her she would not die. He held her hand, and as he spoke to her, he told her to squeeze his hand once for yes and two times for no. He was just trying to evoke some kind of response so she would stay awake. At one point, he noticed something protruding from her neck. He didn't know what it was, but he pushed it back in with his finger. And as Tian struggled to keep Allison awake, he even told her she had like the most beautiful green eyes. And he recalled that she responded back with the most amazing smile, which she's still smiling in a situation that she's like literally dying. Yeah. Now, this is going to make you mad, Christina, because it took one hour and 45 minutes for the ambulance to arrive. What the hell? So Tian rides with Allison in the ambulance to the casualty unit of the provincial hospital, which I had to look it up. And the casualty unit is like South Africa's word for the emergency room, pretty much. And as they're wheeling Allison in, Tian tells her he would be waiting for her after her surgery. Now, the on-call doctor, his name was Dr. Velodia Angelov. And he would later say that in his 16 years as a doctor, he had never seen someone with those injuries and in the condition Allison was in. He said, quote, she was filthy, black as a coal miner. Her entire body was covered in a fine layer of black sand. Her eyes had hemorrhaged and were blood red. Her hair was matted with sand, twigs, leaves, and dried blood. Her knees were cut and scraped. Her feet were lacerated and her fingernails were black. End quote. Allison's throat had been cut damn near from ear to ear. It was about four inches and so deep you could see her spinal column. Oh, oh wow. Well, she was nearly decapitated. Well, yeah. Like her head had flopped back when she stood up. So her anterior muscles, trachea, larynx, and all the major veins in her neck were severed. That something that Tian had pushed back in to her neck that ended up being her thyroid, which was cut completely in half. This injury alone was a miracle. It didn't kill her. Also a miracle was the fact that the knife had missed her carotid artery and voice box by mere centimeters. The doctor also noted that she, would, should, she should have died from drowning in her own blood, but she didn't. There were numerous stab wounds to her abdomen. <clears throat> the doctor would later say he remembers thinking in the moment, if this woman survives, there is a 0% chance that she can bear children. Her intestines had both been ruptured and punctured in multiple places. 
And remember, she had been crawling through dirty beach sand and trash. So they had to carefully wash all the dirt, sand, and trash off of every inch of her intestines to avoid infection. Wow. They also had to stitch every break in the surface of the intestines. And she was in surgery. And, and this surprised me. She was in surgery for only three hours in which they d- she did survive the surgery. But she wasn't out of the woods yet because the doctors were always worried that the wound to her neck would swell so bad that the inflammation would choke her to death. There's also still a high risk of septicemia with her abdominal wound. I don't even understand how they would clean everything to where she wouldn't get like infections all over her body being cut up like that and rolling in sand and trash. Because even like the the football players that break their their ankles or whatever, they worry about the the infection just from like the grass and mm-hmm. she's rolling around in trash and yeah. sand. That's what they were really worried about was that like whatever, when you go into the, the surgery, they sewed her up that it would cause an infection because especially the sand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then like the ash from like the expended fires mm-hmm. that are happening on the beach. So when Allison wakes up the next morning, she's in an excruciating amount of pain. Her mom and dad had came to the hospital. Uh, her father was very overwhelmed at the brutal sight of his daughter. And the first thing that she says to him was, Daddy, please don't worry about me. Because she was, I guess, was just like a kind person and she always thought about others. She even recalled in her book that when Tian was taking care of her on the road, that she remembers thinking like, he wants me to live so much. I'm going to keep my eyes open just because I don't want to fail this guy. I don't want him to think that he killed me. That's how considerate she was. She also said that uh, everything that they had gone through together, she felt like really close to him, even though they didn't know him in the slightest. When detectives arrived, Allison literally told them everything, but due to her medical tube being lodged into her throat, she couldn't talk. She literally had to use a pen and paper to communicate, but she did go over every detail and second of her attack and how it happened. Now, one of the detectives, she brought an album containing hundreds of mugshots. So Allison, looking through the albums, she comes across a photograph of Franz, and she immediately identifies him as one of her attackers. Police were concerned that her pointing out a photograph was not enough. They wanted her to identify Franz verbally. Now, the doctor feared removing the tube, saying it could damage the stitches in her throat. And Allison, hearing this conversation between the doctor and the detectives, she grabs a pen and paper and she writes, take it out. And she verbally identifies him. So at 5 a.m. on Monday, December 19th, one day after the incident, detectives arrested 26-year-old Franz Dutoy and 19-year-old Teens Kruger. And as it turns out, this was not the first time the two men had done something like this. On February 25th, 1994, 10 months before Allison's attack, teens had raped a 20-year-old student. He approached a girl who was sitting in her car, just like Allison. He had a gun and ordered her to move over as he got into the driver's seat. And as they were driving, the girl tried to tell him as much about herself as possible because she was trying to humanize herself. But it didn't work. Teens pulled over, parked the car, and raped the girl. After it was all said and done, she cried, asking him not to kill her. He drove the girl to a road cafe where he bought her a sandwich and a rose. He talked to her about his sister, saying he would kill any man who raped her. This guy's twisted. Okay, you're raping somebody's potential sister or daughter. Yeah. But you're saying you'd kill the man that raped your sister? Get out of here. He drove the girl to a different location after this where he raped her again. Uh, he ordered the girl to tell him that he loved that she loved him, and the girl would later testify at trial that teens told her, "quote You're an amazing person, and I hope I can make it up to you sometime." What's wrong with this dude? Well, it's kind of like, that, that's it's cre- weird. It's weird. That's creepy to me. Yeah, 
because that tells me like you plan on seeing me soon that's scary yeah like because i feel like usually like rapes like like that like like the control but it's almost like he's looking for love yeah like the, like the companionship of it yeah because like, when he um raped the first time it's like he's kissing them and usually rapes aren't like that like for well the first rape it was franz that kissed her oh teens was the one that says no i want to fuck the bitch i just don't think that he's mentally there I know he had a rough childhood. I didn't really go over it on here because fuck him and I don't give a fuck about his life. But I think that maybe part of his childhood caused some mental health issues and there's just no rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Yeah. So he drops the girl off at a resort and drives away. Now, rape was a hush crime in South Africa at the time. So she didn't immediately report it. One week later, she finally told a girlfriend what happened to her. And this friend convinced the girl to finally report the rape. And this led to teens arrest about a month later. And when he was arrested, his bail was set for R100, which is their currency. And in American dollars, that translates to $16.40 in 1994. Wow. So he was able to post bail from jail for $16.40 for raping somebody. so he was out on bond or whatever, or whatever bail when he committed this other one. Yep. Now, sometime between that and December 4th, he meets Franz and he meets him at a liquor store. And however it happened, the two found out that they both had similar interests in criminal activity. And on December 4th, 1994, they approached a 21-year-old woman. Wait, wait, wait. So who who talks about that? Like, oh, I like raping women. Like, do you like raping women? Like, I wonder how their conversation went yeah. for them to... Yeah, that's not something you can bring up. Like, oh, by the way, nice to meet you. I, I like raping people. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost like a, I, when I thought of this story, I thought of like, a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Hillside Stranglers. And they were like uncle and nephew. Like that was the relationship, but they weren't through blood. It was through marriage. And they found out that they both like to rape murder girls. And it's like you said, like, how does that conversation come about where... Like, is it like a slow? But but that one was probably over time. This one was like meeting somebody new. And then within a couple of months, you guys figure out that we're both fucking weirdos. I will tell you, and I didn't add it in my notes because this story had much to it as it is, is that they both had interest in the occult and Satanism. So I think when you have like that, and I'm not, I don't know anything about Satanism, but obviously it's going to have a darker vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that just acknowledges right there. Like, Hey, I'm down for pleasing satan like you have that's what richard ramirez the you know uh, the night stalker like he was because everything he did he wanted to please the devil so he didn't necessarily have an mo because it was like his interest he just wanted to please the devil so i'm wondering if that was somehow a segue i guess into like you said like how that comes up this is what like they said earlier what do you think nick would want us to do what do you think the devil would want us to do i was gonna ask you too when you said that nick i was like gonna ask you if they were in a cult or something (laughs) yeah no uh, i don't know the uh, cult but they both worship satan very very extremely so 
I don't even remember where we were at. Oh, okay. So they approached a 21-year-old woman. She also happened to be three months pregnant. And teens, he pushed a gun up against her stomach. And then she says, I'm pregnant. He didn't care. He told her to shut up and start walking. And they took her to an isolated area where teens molested the woman and Franz raped her and ordered her to perform oral sex on him, just like he did Allison. Now, when the woman gagged, he just raped her again. And huge trigger warning. But during the rape, she said it was hurting so bad and told Franz she was worried about it injuring her baby. He told her to shut up. He pushed her hands back down and continued to rape her. So afterwards, the two men went back and forth on whether they should kill the woman before they finally decided to let her go. And on her way home, she just happened to see a police officer and she reported the entire thing. Teens and Franz were immediately found and arrested. The next day, they were both released in court on their own recognizance, (laughs) which for our listeners, own recognizance is when someone is released without being required to post bail. All they have to do is sign a written promise to appear in court, literally. And then less than two weeks after their release is when Allison was brutally raped and attacked. I, you know, I really hope South Africa's justice system is reformed. It, like, ha- after it, it has. <laughs> it has because of this case. So obviously the public hearing about how teens had been arrested not once, but twice already for being accused of rape, they were outraged. And the chief magistrate of Port Elizabeth, he issued this statement. He said, it has to be borne in mind that in accordance with the Constitution, an accused has the right to be released from custody with or without bail, unless it is not in the interest of justice. The state, and this includes the police, has to prove that the interest of justice will be impeded in order to prevent release. This can only be done if the investigating officer provides the prosecutor with enough evidence and if the prosecutor then presents this evidence in the court. So to me, when I'm reading that statement, because I kind of looked more into it, is I feel like they're kind of uh, blaming the investigating officer because the investigating officer claims he didn't know anything about the first rape. And then he was also signed uh, in a different precinct than when he, where he was arrested. So they're basically saying, like, you know, they everybody needs to communicate between the prosecutor, the investigator, the courts, and basically somebody dropped the ball. And that's why he was saying, including uh, the police officer. Some people just write fucking absolute dog shit reports. Like, it's way worse than what they actually put in the report. They don't explain anything, and it's just... Well, they were saying since the girl, the first rape, she reported it a week later. He didn't get arrested to a month later that there was no physical evidence or DNA to tie him to her. And then with the second one, they're basically saying that the investigating officer, he was basically failed to see the first report. I don't know how their criminal justice system uh, communicates as far as the inmate criminal records. But even like, like the courts, the court should know all that shit. The court should know what open cases like somebody has and like, like should know that this guy was just in the court not too long before this one. I feel like there's been a lot of progress though between the 90s and 2020, you know? So I think mm-hmm. that's true. I mean, the same for the United States. You know? Yeah. And again, like obviously, you know, we operate off of different kind of laws, one of which mm-hmm. is case law. And so I think you were saying that uh, you hope it led to a lot of reform and it did actually, as far as uh, the way people release uh, inmates, the way that, um, people report and just like i guess the threat of the justice system was completely uh, uprooted and restructured because of this Mm -hmm. this case now detectives obviously had to interview uh fronts and teens 
they interviewed teens first because he didn't he was younger and he didn't have as much of a criminal record so they thought they could get through to him easier because he wasn't as sophisticated now they told the investigators told him that he would be charged with rape and attempted murder teens he was obviously super confused about the attempted murder charge because he had killed the girl and then when detectives told teens that allison had survived he looks down takes a ring off of his finger and hands it to the detectives and then he tells them it was allison's it also still had her blood on it and then he told them the entire story so how creepy walking around wearing someone's ring that you thought you killed it's a trophy it's ba- it's ballsy to me honestly yeah that's ballsy that's didn't even clean it didn't even clean it <laughs> nothing so he recounted the night of the attack on allison and he said him and franz were at franz's house having a barbecue and drinking franz had gotten into a fight with his wife mm-hmm. and wanted to find a beautiful girl to rape with the, uh and kill with a nice car so teens and franz they drink some more before they drove around looking for their next victim now, when they were unsuccessful in finding a girl, teens asked Franz to drop him off at a nightclub. But Franz, he wasn't giving up. He continued to search for a victim. And that's when he came across Allison. He abducts her. He picks up teens at the nightclub. And that's when Franz stated, or when teens stated that Franz had raped the girl first and teens second. Franz uh, then strangled Allison until she lost consciousness. And then he drug her outside of the car. Now, when teens asked if she was dead, Franz said, let's find out. He pulls out a knife and he stabbed her in the abdomen. Uh, He said he liked the feeling, so he continued to stab her. Teens pulled out his knife and repeatedly slit her throat. And after they drove away, they went and drank more beer and they went to sleep. When they interviewed Franz, he was also very surprised that Allison had survived. He gave pretty much the same account that teens did as to what happened the night. The detective said that he showed no remorse. In fact, they said he got pleasure by retelling what happened. Something also to note is that Franz would later admit to intentionally trying to destroy Allison's reproductive organs during the attack. Why, though? Like, what? Uh, If you ask me, that's a hatred towards women, right? Because your your reproductive organs makes you a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't make you a woman, but that's a very womanly quality. Because I don't want to say if you don't have reproductive organs, you're not a woman. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. You know, obviously, that's what separates you from a male is like you know your your ability to give birth. And so, to me, you're targeting something. And they remember she he had stabbed her also in the pubic area, obviously. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's a hatred against the females. Allison did have to physically identify both Franz and teens, but at this time, a lineup was done by having the people, they're standing in a row, just like a normal lineup. Now, the victim would have to physically walk up to the person and place their hand on the their attacker's shoulder to identify them. What? Gosh, how traumatizing. <laughs> right? That's scary. I would imagine just being behind the glass would be bad enough. So, obviously, with the case of Allison, detectives did not want to put her through that. And that's when they came up with the idea of putting her through one-way glass. You have the people line up. They're associated with a number. And then the victim identifies them by that number. Allison was able to identify man number six and man number 13. Franz Detroit and Toons Kruger. I swear these names. It's It's hard. Yeah. It's tough. Oh, I wonder if people... Like, say, like, people in South South Africa, 
think like our name's like, oh, Brittany, what kind of name is that? Like, it's easier to say than, br- and, and I'm not even saying it completely right. Like I'm yeah. watching the documentary. I was like looking at it and I was like, teens, teens. And I'm not even <laughs> saying it right. Like I'm not even saying it. So when I, so as I say, when I practice, I record myself first and during the recording, even like, I'm like really confused and I'm all tunes. Teens. <laughs> Tense. <laughs> like, I have no idea. <laughs> but watching the documentary, that's like the closest that it comes. But I obviously don't have like the dialect and like can't articulate like that word like they yeah. can. So on March, March 23rd, 1995, both Franz and Teens pled guilty to eight <laughs> charges to include rape, kidnapping, and attempted murder. Their attorney read what is called a plea explanation from Franz. And in Franz's statement was this comment, quote, I just told her, sorry, when she pleaded with me not to kill her. I put both my hands around her neck and squeezed. I strangled her until she went completely limp. He also said, I pushed teens away and cut her repeatedly across the throat. I probably cut her 20 to 30 times on the same place with a knife. Now he ended his statement with one word, sorry. (laughs) Fuck him. Well, it's not like, I'm sorry. I'm sincerely sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah, that's not genuine at all. Now, the case actually ended up going to trial in the uh, Supreme Court. Now, by this time, the press had dubbed the two men the Ripper Rapists. The two men were convicted and sentenced on August 8th, 1995. Now, during sentencing, the judge told the courtroom that he had the strong reservations about the sincerity of their remorse. The judge compared Allison's horrific attack to, quote, a boy walking with a slingshot shooting birds simply to kill. Now, he stated it was the court's responsibility to remove the two men from society forever. Teens Kruger, he was sentenced to 25 years for the rape of the pregnant woman. He received life in prison for the attack and attempted murder of Allison Botha. And Franz de Toy, he received three life sentences for the attack on Allison. And I would like you guys to know that South Africa did not have the death penalty at this time. So they received literally the maximum sentences. And the judge ordered the copies of their sentences to be placed in their permanent prison records because he wanted all future authorities and judges, including people who would look over their jackets, to know that he wanted the men to remain in prison for the rest of their natural lives. And and also probably to get them fucked up. Because I guarantee that gets out that what's in their jacket. Somebody slips up and says something, maybe some guard sees it and it's like, Hey, these dudes are in here for this. I actually didn't even consider that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good, that's a good, that is a good theory. That is a good theory. Now, after they were sentenced before teens left the courtroom, he hits the wall and he yells, well, here we go. Fuck you all. <laughs> okay. What an idiot. <laughs> well, what does here we go mean? Like, yeah. Like, let's do this. Like, yeah, let's go to prison. He's going to be the one getting raped now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he did. I hate to say that, but I hope he did. Karma's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and Kar- then you die. Karma's a fickle motherfucker. <laughs> She'll fucking come back at you a hundredfold. Oof. Now, Allison, she didn't take her second chance at life for granted. She quit her job as an insurance broker, and through mere accident, she found a passion for public speaking. She is now one of the most influential motivational speakers in the world. Uh, she travels around the world telling her story. She wrote a book, I Have a Life, and which is pretty much the entire basis of my research on this case. Uh, in her book, she basically describes how lucky she really got on the night of her attack. She attri- attributes her survival to not one miracle, but multiple miracles. 
So Christina and Berto, you both asked before, like, how did she survive? These are the miracles on how she survived. Ready? Yes. So during her strangulation, when they were strangling her, she defecated herself. Now this cleared her bowels and thus reduced the risk of infection dramatically. Uh, Despite the fact that Franz tried to destroy her reproductive organs, he only nicked her uterus. He also failed to damage any of her vital organs when he was stabbing her stomach. When her throat was slashed, they had nearly missed her carotid artery, which as we know would have killed her instantly. Now, believe it or not, by cutting her trachea, this allowed air to openly flow into her lungs. It was the sole reason she was still breathing and allowing her to stay conscious. Wow. If they had not thrown her shirt at her, she would have not been able to carry her intestines. It was also a full moon that night by chance. And that is how Allison was able to find her way to the road in the middle of nowhere with no lights in the country. The temperature was actually warmer than normal, which allowed her body to survive longer as she was naked and had lost a majority of her blood. Uh, her sur- survival was also attributed to Tian Ellard because he was a veterinary student and had basic medical knowledge. He also was very composed and able to calmly talk to her through consciousness. Dr. Angelov, the surgeon, he was the on-call doctor that night at the hospital. Now, he happened to be a thoracic surgeon in his home country and technically was not employed at the hospital for that specialty. If any other doctor was on call, they would have not been equipped to handle Allison's surgery and she more than likely would have died on the table. That's crazy. It's like all the stars align like perfectly for her. So yeah, I, exactly. Pretty much every miracle that could have happened that night besides the attack itself had come to fruition. Now Allison ends her book with the sentence, choose to believe in miracles. I certainly do. No, hey, but she didn't give up though either. Like if she would have gave up, she would have died. Like, uh, so, you know what I mean? Like she, she wanted to live. Like she was trying to live. Like I, I feel like if at any point she just would have gave up, she would have died. So I'm going to add to that because you're a hundred percent right. And again, I didn't put this in my notes. Like I do every, um, every case, but she had said in her book that at one point she saw herself leaving her body. She sees herself curled in the, um, fetal position in the dirt in the middle of nowhere. And she said she was lifting up and she felt a feeling of peace. And then she also said that like, she looked down at her body was like, I'm not, I don't want to leave. I'm not ready to leave. So she made the choice and she still to this day sticks with the fact that she's like, I made the conscious decision to literally go back into my body and stay alive. I believe it. You you know what? That's how I think, like how it happens too. Mm -hmm. And not that it's ever happened. You know, I've never experienced that, but like if, when it does, like I just see like your, she also said that when she was, uh, between the point where she was crawling and then walking to the road, she said she felt like she was floating. She said that she felt like an angel was carrying her to the road. Uh, that's how she remembers. To me, uh, I'm not saying it was an angel or you know an act of a miracle, but I feel like it was almost like that adrenaline and just surrealism mm-hmm. of the moment that that's you know she had that floating feeling. Mm-hmm. Now Amazon Prime has a great documentary which I've already mentioned. It's called Allison. Now, at the end of the documentary, and I want to point this out, it says that that Franz Detoit, he requested an interview with the filmmaker for the documentary. Now, in return for his interview, he gave two demands. He wanted one, a letter of forgiveness from Allison, signed. What? (laughs) Fuck you. Two, he wanted profit shares from Allison's book sales. Oh, hell no. Mm -mm. As he believes... That what he did to Allison is the only reason for her success story. Wow. <laughs> hey, that's that dude's a sick motherfucker. Yeah. 
his request was declined. <laughs> he did not have an I interview. Pissed if it was yeah, in that documentary. No. Oh, fuck him. Now, both Franz and Teens, they were up for parole in 2015. I know initially their sentence said that they weren't up for parole. No, uh, no possibility of parole. But uh, I feel like laws probably obviously changed, mm-hmm. which gave them the opportunity for it and the ability to, you know, apply for parole. It was denied. They're still in fucking prison. So I feel like with that, like if if, if the law changes to where you're eligible for parole, it should also be able to change to put you to fucking death. You know what I mean? Like if they have the death penalty now. Good point. And now you can die. Fucking let's go to appeal for that. Like you can appeal and fucking actually have parole now. So why can't we change it to kill you? You know what? Touche motherfucker. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) That's a a great point. Fucking let's make it a double edged sword. You're so smart. (laughs) Uh, now, I just want everybody to die, <laughs> especially these sick fucks. Now, Franz and Jeans, they're still in prison, where I hope they stay for the the to the end of their life. Now, after his ordeal with Allison, Tien, he decided not to treat animals as a veterinarian. He instead decided to become a medical doctor. Nice. Fuck yeah. Now, after attack, her attack, Allison was given one final miracle. Despite multiple doctors telling her that Allison's body was so was so damaged, it would not allow her to build children. She successfully carried and gave birth to two sons. Hell yeah. Awesome. And it was with the doctor. No. Oh, uh. that would have been great. <laughs> Close. Tian, the former veterinarian student, was the doctor who delivered her second baby. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's the story of Allison Botha, which I thought was really intriguing. It was actually really, really good. It, yeah, you it, like that? It yes. was so good. Like, I felt bad not, like, comp, like saying shit. Like, going, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? When we were on break, <laughs> I told Christina, I was like, well, there's not as much comedy on this yeah. one. She's like, I'm just trying to listen to the story. Yeah. I, I feel just like want to know how the fuck she lived. Like, I know. What happened? I like, told how? you. I know. Like, <laughs> no shit you told me at the end, but like, listening to the story. Like, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Oh, shit. There's one final thing I got to do. Hold on. Thermal, please. White Claw. My baby. I haven't forgotten about you. This is Brittany. This is Heard of a Murder. Thank you guys for listening. This is Christina. This is Berto. Bye. Heard of a Murder.